Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. phone to his manager when he's attacked by a group of men wearing ski masks shouting this is MAGA country. They throw he what he calls some chemical on him and they beat him up as well. So he goes to the hospital, the police then begin their investigation. In the next couple days Chicago PD releases surveillance photos of persons of interest. But the following day, Smollett apparently refuses to turn over his cell phone, which could potentially give officers clues about whether or not he was, in fact, on the phone with his manager when he was attacked. February 1, Smollett gives his first public statement in Essence magazine, saying, I have been working with authorities, and I have been 100% factual and consistent on every level. 
February 11, Smollett provides limited and redacted information about his phone calls. He later says he didn't want to turn over his phone because of private pictures and contact information. February 13, a break in the case. Two men are taken into custody. These are Nigerian brothers, Abel and Ola Osundairo, on suspicion of carrying out the attack. By February 15, however, police release these persons of interest based on, quote, new evidence. February 16, we learn the probe has shifted into an investigation of whether Smollett staged the incident and paid the two men to attack him. By February 20, Smollett becomes a suspect, and detectives present evidence to a Cook County grand jury. He's eventually charged with felony disorderly conduct, which is presenting or giving information leading to a false police report in Illinois. Smollett then releases a statement saying he enjoys the presumption of innocence. February 21, Smollett turns himself in. He is now in custody of the Chicago Police Department. We're going to learn a lot more about this case in the coming weeks and months as police continue their investigation. This case raises the issue of false police reports. These are a real problem because they waste law enforcement resources and create terror in the community about a threat that isn't real. All right, so that's the basic overview of what's happened over the last few weeks. Thanks, NBC. And so tonight, um, but what I want to share with you this evening is more than just uh, the bare minimum facts of the situation. There is more to the story, and this is more than just about giving false information to a police department. The question we have to ask tonight is why would a guy like this who is making $125,000 per episode of the TV program that he is on, he said that he was dissatisfied with the amount of money that he was receiving, and so he concocted this entire hoax. Uh, And the reason why he wanted to paint people in a certain way and to paint himself as a victim. And this is what's really interesting to me about this case. This is more than just false police reporting. What he was doing was that he is willing to sacrifice his career in order to elevate his status as a victim in the eyes of America. One commentator said this. He said, the hoax of Jesse Smollett is symptomatic of America's illness. Because of the mainstreaming of a victimhood culture, we are now, listen carefully, we are now in a place where we place more value on being a victim than we do on being heroic, charitable, or even kind. People who see themselves as victims are supposed to be coveted, treated with kid gloves, and believed unreservedly. Now, I want to just mention to you that this is not just a single case that has happened, but this is part of a growing trend. There has been a growing move of hoaxes that have been painted as hate crimes in the last few years. In 2016, November, there was an anti-Muslim hate crime. There was a Muslim woman at the University of Michigan. And uh, uh, she got lots of attention after she claimed that a drunk something, 20-something-year-old man tried to light her on fire because she wouldn't remove her hijab. 
Uh, the university condemned this attack. Turned out that it was just a big story. In, uh, in December 2016, there was another Muslim woman, 18-year-old in New York, subject of many headlines after she claimed that she had been attacked by a group of, uh, of MAGA Donald Trump supporters on a New York subway while the onlookers did nothing. She later confessed she made the whole thing up. In May 2017, students at St. Olaf College in Minnesota staged protests and boycotted classes after racist notes that targeted black students were found around the campus. It later came out it was a black student who was responsible for writing the notes. He wrote them in order, quote, to draw attention to concerns about the campus climate. Last year, July 2018, a waiter fakes a note calling himself a terrorist in Texas. Khalil Cavill went viral after posting a Facebook picture of a racist note that he claimed a customer had left on his receipt in, instead of a tip. The note described him as a, quote, terrorist. At the steakhouse where he worked, he initially banned the customers for life. But then when they investigated, they found out that the waiter had faked the note himself. And so I just want to show to you tonight that this is not an isolated thing that has happened. It is part of a growing trend. Somehow in America, there is a group of people that wants to be seen as a victim. And there is something tonight desperately wrong with that. And I believe there's something here tonight that we can learn from as God's people. And in order to do that, I want to share with you a story from the book of John, chapter 5. And in this chapter tonight, in this scripture, we are going to meet a man who, if we would all compare our lives to him, that we could definitely say he is a victim of his circumstances. But Jesus confronted this man and dealt with him. And deals with this attitude tonight. And I want to encourage you this evening to let your heart be open this evening, breaking free from the victimhood mentality. Are you with me so far? Let's read the scripture. John chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool which is called in Hebrew Beth Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, and waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. What kind of miraculous pool this was. Verse 5, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. This is incredible to me. Look at how Jesus deals with this man. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, listen to this question, it'll set you free tonight. Do you want to be made well? That seems like a simple question. But in fact, there are many layers here that we're going to unpack tonight. Let's go before the Lord and pray.
for his spirit. Father, we come tonight by the blood of Jesus. I'm praying tonight for the freedom and the liberty of the Holy Ghost to preach your word with clarity and understanding tonight. I pray open the hearts of your people to detect the, the attitude tonight, the, the, uh, the deception that could be in us, God, to claim a victim status and to, to see ourselves with self-pity. I'm praying tonight that you would break us free from this mentality. God, that we would walk in freedom tonight and in gratitude and in praise for all that you've done in our lives. And we thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. Let's talk about victimhood tonight. And by the way, the title of this message is that victims don't have victory. Victims don't have victory. And let's begin by thinking about what is victimhood. Tonight, victimhood is a view of the world. Every one of you tonight, you have a worldview. It is a way in which you see the world around you. Now, victimhood could be a way that we see our world. It's a view of the world that will begin to magnify the painful circumstances that are around you And it is not for no reason. The reason that this happens is because somehow, especially in our culture today, if you have been through painful things, it elevates you in the eyes of others. The victimhood mentality begins to place the blame for all of your pain on other people. The reason I am where I am today is because... Of those people. Someone was against you. Someone hurt you. And truly, there are terrible things that happen to people. But if we are not careful, we can claim the mantle of I am a victim. And I do not deserve where I am uh, to be where I am today. This is a form of a false gospel. A false gospel with the reward of being elevated in the eyes of other people. If you claim to be a victim, a naturally sympathetic and empathetic person will hear a sad story and will then begin to come to your side and come to your help. That's why this mentality only works well in a sympathetic and empathetic and a Christian culture like the one we have. If we lived in a culture where people didn't care about each other, then this would not be working. And yet, here we are in 2019, that uh, people continue to elevate their victim status in in order to get ahead with other people. Typically, the way that this works is if you have some position in life, uh, uh, on the college campus, they title this as, intersectionality. Anybody ever heard of that before? Intersectionality, where you belong to a certain group, and whatever group you might belong to gives you a certain, let's say, a number of points on a scale. And however great your offense is in your group, it gives you more weight or more emphasis on your opinion. For example, your race or your gender or your sexual orientation or your class and And people begin to be grouped together in these groups of oppression or disadvantage. If this all seems weird to you, 
it's probably because you haven't been on a college campus recently. Because this is where the, uh, the culture is being formed and shaped and young skulls full of mush are buying the lie that just because you are a certain skin color or just because you are a certain sexual orientation gives your opinion a greater weight or value than other people. You with me so far? Those who are victimized are given the greatest place of prominence. Of course, at the bottom of the totem pole is the person that everybody loves to hate, the straight white male. <laughs> and uh, then from, the, from there, you know, then you've got uh, the Jews are toward the bottom. And then going up from there, you've got different groups and different politics and different identities and different religions. And uh, up near the top, you can never tell who's on the top because new groups are claiming new status all the time. Something like this. Let's... Let's say that you are a a gay, white woman. Well, your opinion matters because you're gay. Uh, But your opinion doesn't matter as much as if you were a gay, black woman. Because the black claims more status than the white, apparently. And so, this is how it goes. I hate talking about this kind of stuff because it begins to separate people into groups. And begins to give... Certain people, greater value than others. Whatever happened to what Martin Luther King taught us? He said, we don't judge people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He would be rejected by people who promote this, this view of the world. What it does is it begins to... Uh, when you begin to believe this about yourself, that I am a victim and that my social status goes higher because of how I've been offended, what begins to happen to people is that they begin to identify themselves as oppressed. So let's go back to our scripture. Apparently, this pool that this man would go to, the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. This pool had some supernatural quality. The Bible says that an angel would come down to stir the pool up. And when the waters of this pool began to be agitated, that the first person who would get into that pool after it happened would be miraculously healed of whatever disease that they had. What a miracle that is. It's no wonder to me that there would be people waiting by the side of the pool all the time. Especially in a day where uh, medical technology was not advanced as it is today. People didn't understand that they were sick or why they were sick or how they got sick. And so, uh, and so there was this pool that's beginning to heal people. For 38 years we read that there's this man... 38 years. We don't know exactly what his sickness was or what his illness was. It says simply that he was lame. And for 38 years, the Bible says he suffered. He had great pain. How would it feel to be sick for 38 years? And for 38 years, he laid by this pool hoping to get a miracle. Jesus comes and he sees this man. He asks him a question. He says, do you want to be made well? But listen to this man's story. And by the way, the victimhood culture always wants to tell a sad, sad story. 
the sad story that the man tells in verse 7, Sir, (laughs) I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Oh, heartbroken. And in this simple scripture, we have an example tonight. We have a view of how Jesus treated the man who felt so sorry for him. And truly, he was someone that we should have pity on. He has a much worse situation than anybody here tonight. But in 2019, we see this man's attitude at work in our culture today, in young people especially. Let's think about why victimhood is so destructive tonight. Where does it come from? Tonight, the reason why we like this and the reason why it's tempting for us to position ourselves as victims, first of all, because it's part of your sinful nature. Are you hearing me tonight? It's part of our sinful, fallen nature. Genesis chapter 3, the very first thing. The very first thing that Adam says, remember, God uh, comes down looking for, for them in the garden after they have taken the forbidden fruit. And God says, where are you, Adam? He finds him, begins to ask him, what, what has happened here? And what does Adam do? The very first words out of his mouth, Lord, it was the woman. See, I'm innocent here. If it wasn't for her, everything would be fine. And by the way, Lord, just to remind you, it's the woman that you gave to me. So really, it's not just her fault. Lord, it's your fault. And then when she took a bite, let me tell you, then she's the one who put it up in my face. And I ate it. It's really, it's all her fault. And really, it's, it's all your fault. You don't see Adam taking any of the blame, do you? He played the victim. He says, I am not the one that you need to be looking at here, God. Turn your attention over to her. She did it. Boy, I'm glad we don't do that anymore in 2019. (laughs) Hey, I counsel marriages. I know that this still happens today. Oh, pastor, you, you don't understand. The reason that I did that, the reason that I, you know, crashed my car into the pole, it's because of her. I know it was stupid, but it's really her fault. And, and why, dear, did you throw the dishes and break them all over the floor? Well, it's because he, you don't know, he is the one. He made me do it. Or we can blame our children. Or we can blame our heritage. Well, I'm Irish. My family is just angry all the time. That's how we talk. We're just angry all the time. We can blame our culture. You can blame your pastor. You can, maybe. You could blame our culture. We could blame our family, our past, the neighborhood you grew up in. See, we're really good at this, aren't we? If you went tonight to go visit the local Virginia Beach City Jail, I guarantee you 90% of the people in there, they would tell you, I didn't do it. Or the reason I did it, it's not my fault. 
If you go to the max, max security prison, you'll find about 90% who say the same thing. And really what it comes down to is I am not responsible for my sin. It's not my fault. Just admit it tonight. We have a really, really hard time admitting that we're wrong. No, I don't. Yeah, you do. And I do too. We have a really hard time saying, you know what? I'm the problem here. I did it because I was selfish. I did it because I was embarrassed. The reason I lied was because I didn't want people to think less of me. The reason I spent money was because I wanted people to see me in a certain way. Right? We don't do that. So often we do exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. And what so many, the, the reason that we play the victim is so that we, we don't have to deal with the fact that we are sinners. The second big problem with playing the victim is that ultimately the root of this is nothing more than self-pity. Everybody say self-pity. Ooh, feeling sorry for yourself. It's a dangerous place to be. This is what this man was doing at the pool. Jesus saw the man lying there, knew that he had been in that condition, verse 6, you know, for a long time, and Jesus said to him a simple question. Listen carefully. This will set you free tonight. He asked him, do you want to be made well? Now, I want you to notice tonight that is a yes or no question. Do you want to be made well? Yes or no? I'm glad that you said yes tonight, Miss Ernestine. But if you know, listen carefully, if you read carefully, you will find out the man did not answer yes or no. He answered with a sad, sad story. Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool. When the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Now, what do you notice about this little story that he tells to Jesus? One of the problems when you spend your life defining yourself as a victim one of the greatest problems is that it's so self-centered. The man can't think about anybody else except his own problem. So often, the victim mentality and the victim culture cannot see difficulties outside of themselves. So consumed with self-pity that you cannot see or have pity for anyone else. It's as if he is the only person on the planet that his problem is the greatest problem. And this is so true with us. Isn't it true that when you're going through a problem that it seems like everybody else is living on cloud nine? How come I'm the only one suffering here? Or you get, you get into a prayer with God and you're like, God, why? Why are you letting it? Nobody else I've ever known has gone through this. And we begin to feel sorry for, oh, it's so hard for me. Oh, I can't go through this. God, why are you letting this happen? It never happened to anybody. Not even Jesus, who went to the cross to die for your sins. 
See, the story that this man told to Jesus, it was the story that he had been telling himself. But I want you to know that that story is a lie. That story is not God's story about this man. Do you see what I'm saying here tonight? This man was telling himself a sad, sad story. Oh, I'm glad you asked me, Jesus. I want to tell you about why I am where I am. Sad face. But that is not the story that God was telling about him. Can I tell you, God often tells a different story about you. Especially if you're saved and right with God. Especially if you're his kid, can I tell you, he tells a different story about you than we tell about ourselves. When God tells a story about you, he says, that's my child. That's my boy. That's my girl. And yes, they're going through problems, but I'm teaching them something. Victimhood tonight is a false gospel. Do you have that picture that we can show tonight? Victimhood is a false gospel. I want to compare tonight the false gospel of being a victim to the true gospel of what Jesus Christ offers to us. If you see yourself as a victim, you say, I'm a victim. Somebody needs to help me. The true gospel says, I'm a sinner. I've done a lot of wrong things. The false gospel of victimhood says that my sin is not my fault. Someone else made me do it. The true gospel says, I did it. My sin is my fault. Nobody else forced me. The false gospel of being a victim says, people owe me. People need to serve me. I need someone to pay the price so that I can be elevated again. This world is against me. But the true gospel says, what, because of what Jesus did, I want to lift other people up. I want to serve. I want to be a blessing. I want to help somebody else. The false gospel of being a victim says, repent. Why would I need to repent? I'm the, prob- I, 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 I'm, I'm the one who's on the receiving end. The true gospel says, God's kindness has led me to repentance. Do you see how opposite these worldviews are tonight? The false gospel says, I've done nothing wrong. Halo over my head. What could be, what do I have to apologize for? The true gospel says, I deserve hell. Wow. What a great difference there is tonight. The false gospel leads ultimately to destruction. But the true gospel says, I will go to heaven because of repentance and faith in Christ paid for my sin. You can leave that up tonight. I'll let you ponder that. It's powerful. When you claim the status of victim tonight, it may get you closer to some benefit that the world has to offer. But there are some desperate and dire consequences that it also produces. Follow with me as we close tonight. The gospel of victimhood creates entitlement. You know what that means? 
the world owes me something. The world owes me. Somebody needs to pay. Somebody needs to give me something to make up for my hard time that I've had. And if you live your whole life like that, it's no wonder that you're not happy. Happy people don't need anything from anybody. If you see yourself as a victim, you depend you you de- demand rather repentance from others instead of repentance from yourself. You know, there is a holiday that we celebrate every year that victims don't like this holiday. It's Thanksgiving. You know why victims don't like that holiday? Because on Thanksgiving, we are forced to do exactly what the Bible tells us we should do, and that is to count our blessings one by one. Because when you count your blessings, you are reminded that you didn't have to get those things. Somebody blessed you. And when you know how blessed you are, beloved, oh, it creates gratitude. Gratitude is something that does not exist if you're a victim. Does not exist. Finally, it leads to destruction. If you're always a victim, then what sin do you need to repent of? For what did Christ die? If you make little of your sin, then you make little of Jesus Christ. And if you are claiming tonight that you are without sin, then you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. 1 John 1, 8. Tonight, a victim will never cry out in repentance for their sins because they don't believe they've done anything wrong. Sinners, on the other hand, realize the depth of our sin before a holy God and realize that we have done all things to break that connection with him. And what we desperately need is his forgiveness. Tonight, I want to encourage you to deny your victimhood. Can I tell you, every single person in here, no matter what your background is, we could all tell a sad story if we wanted to. Somewhere, we have all been victimized by something. Some more than others, of course. We have not all had the same experience in life. But every single person, if you wanted to create a sob story and you wanted to pity yourself enough, you could come up with something, right? If you wanted to make yourself cry, you could do it. And if you look in the mirror long enough, there's probably some really sad stories that you could remind yourself of. And pretty soon we'd be getting out the razor blades because we've all got a sad story to tell somewhere. The real question here tonight is not how can I make other people feel sorry for my, for my sad story. The real question is how do we get free? And that's where this story is so powerful. Jesus confronted the attitude of victimhood. He asked a simple question, do you want to be healed? Now you think tonight that that is a simple question to answer. You think that that, I mean, it's obvious, right? The guy is sitting next to a pool where he's trying to get healed every single day. 
But it's interesting to me that Jesus asked this very question. Do you want to be healed? You know, I've talked with many people that say they want to be healed, but really, they don't want to be healed. Because to be healed means that they're going to lose pity from other people. Or to be healed means that their lives are going to change in a radical way. It means they're going to have to take responsibility for a few things. I'd rather remain sick, thank you very much. Or to be healed means that they're going to have to give up some little pet or habit. You, you know, the, the person who, has, uh, who wants to quit smoking, who knows that it kills people, creates cancer in the lungs, all kind of heart disease and problems. I want to quit, Pastor. Oh, really? Let's pray for that. No, well, I'm still working on it. Right? You've seen people like, but more than just smoking, this, this has to do with many different areas in our lives. If you really got healed, it means you'd have to change your life around. Jesus asked the man, do you want to be healed? A lot of times people want the healing, but really don't want to embrace what the healed life looks like. Jesus said to the man in verse 8, something so powerful that you can catch tonight. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Do you know what's in that answer tonight? A personal investment. Jesus said to the man, I'm not going to pick you up. You can do it. I will supernaturally heal you when... You take up your bed. You've got to want it. And we are not saying tonight that God helps those who help themselves. That is not in the Bible tonight. We understand that we can't help ourselves. We are helpless before the Lord. But here's what Jesus said to the man. If you truly want to be healed, exercise your faith and take up your bed and you will walk away. What Jesus is really saying is, Quit acting like a victim. Quit telling the sad story. Quit trying to get pity from others. He said to the man, take up your bed. Take up that thing that you've been lying on for 38 years, and I'll do the miracle. Can I tell you, God wants to do a miracle in your heart tonight? And he will to those who exercise faith. Jesus is not giving this man a handout. Jesus is not going to pick this man up and put him on his shoulder and carry him around town. Oh, no. Jesus says, you take up your bed. There's freedom in that tonight. Because here's a man who's going to have to now exercise faith. To the man, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus, one man came to Jesus, had a withered hand. You remember that story? His hand was withered up. And it was a similar situation. Jesus said some words to this man. Now, in that, in that story, Jesus didn't take the man's hand. He didn't stretch out each finger one by one. He didn't do it for him. You know what Jesus did? He said, stretch forth your hand. I can't stretch forth my hand. I have a withered hand. Jesus, maybe you didn't hear me the first time. 
Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. You know why? Because it required some faith. He had to take the initiative to believe. Tonight, this is what Jesus is looking for. If you're ever going to be free from the victim mentality, it's because you can see tonight that really what it comes down to is unbelief. The man was not healed because for 38 years he didn't believe. Jesus wants to make you whole, body, mind, and soul. Now, if you live life thinking yourself, thinking of yourself as a victim, you might be able to get some kind of help from somewhere. You might be able to get a check from somebody. You might be able to get a step ahead. You might be able to get into certain places that others can't. But I want to tell you, it will not make you whole. It will not solve the problem. What Jesus aims to do tonight is to make us whole. Now, you think that this might be the end of the story, but it's not. If you keep reading this chapter, you look at verse 14, we see Jesus makes a second contact with the same man there in the temple. It says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Now sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Imagine that. Jesus said, this is not just about your physical healing. This is about your life. This is about your decision to live for God. This is about your decision to live a life of faith. He said, if you continue a life of sin, you'll go back and you'll be even worse than when I first met you. So often, the physical malady is only the beginning of the problem. The real problem is deeper. The problem of sin. It's the problem of sin. When he saw himself as a victim... He gave no room for himself for hope or restoration. But when he began to see himself as something more, he began to have victory. Now listen tonight. If you truly want to have the victory, if you truly want to overcome the power of sin in your life, you're not going to get there by playing the victim. You're not going to get there by blaming other people. You're not going to have victory, neither with God nor with men, if you continue to pass the blame. It's their fault. It's the ancestors. It's the problem. It's that group. It's this group. It's their problem. And I'm just a victim. As long as we do that, beloved, we will never have the victory. But when we, like this man, will make a decision to be challenged by Jesus... Take up your bed and walk. When we allow faith to inspire our actions, when we'll be willing to live the life of what that healing really means, then we will find victory. Can I tell you, this man, he probably, he probably had it good. He probably had sources of people who were helping him out. He probably had people who would drop off food at his house because they knew. They had pity on him. 
But on that day, when he stood up and walked, that means he had to get a job. I mean, there was some responsibility to take. That means he's probably had to pay back some of the people he owed. And this is often why people continue to play the victim, because it means responsibility. You know, sometimes we look at our children and we long to say, oh, man, what, wouldn't it be great to be a kid again? Carefree, no bills to pay. Oh, being a kid would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, except, you know, kids don't have any freedom. They live under your thumb, as it should be. To be a grown-up, yes, it means responsibility. Yes, it means bills to pay. Yes, it means all of those difficult things that we go through. But you know what else it means? Freedom. You can make your own decisions. Under the great hand of God, of course. But great responsibility comes with great freedom. This is true in the kingdom tonight. When you're willing to take responsibility, when you're willing to say, God, I am the problem. It was me. It was my fault. And I'm so sorry. You know what God does? Rise up and walk, buddy. Time to graduate because you figured it out. As long as we play the victim, we stay in second grade spiritually. I want to encourage you tonight, church. We live in a culture today that is encouraging you to find the places of your victimhood and to exploit them to gain favor in the world. We need to reject that tonight. We need to reject that mentality. And we need to say, no, God did not create me to be a victim. God created me to be victorious. And when you get there tonight, oh, beloved, let me tell you what you'll find. You'll find peace. You'll find joy. And you'll find a life that says, oh, God, thank you. Thank you that I'm even alive today. You know how happy you will be when, you're, when you appreciate every breath that you take? <gasps> thank you, God. <sighs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Every beat of your heart, boom, boom, boom. <gasps> thank you, God. I'm still, God, you didn't kill me today. Yes. God, I have a wife. Thank you. I have two children that kind of like me. Thank you, Lord. I have a church where people care about me. Thank you, Jesus. Do you see how much joy you could have if you would stop being a victim? You'll gain the victory tonight. Let's bow our heads. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.